What is up, everybody? This is Brayden from Flint Mastering, and I am the host and content curator of the Mixing Music Podcast exclusive episodes. And today we have for you an exclusive archive, which means you're going to hear an exclusive episode that DK and I recorded almost a year ago. You're going to have the chance to hear what our exclusive episodes are all about and how much fun and learning goes on between me and DK as we discuss technical tips and important techniques in relation to producing mixing, and mastering. If you enjoy this episode and you'd like to be a part of the exclusive content we provide twice a week, you can do so by heading over to mixingmusicpodcast.com forward slash exclusive. Thank you so much for listening. We love you. We appreciate you. And we couldn't do this podcast without you. I hope you enjoy this episode of the exclusive archives. And with that, happy mixing, my friends, and stay saucy. Welcome back to another exclusive subscriber-only episode of the Mixing Music Podcast. I'm your host for today, Brayden from Flint Mastering, and joining me is the keyboard connoisseur and keyboard savant himself, building his own keyboards, hailing all the way from... Okinawa, oh, Japan. Okay, okay, we get it. Six foot three, weighing that is in not six foot three. Now you're just one hundred and eighty-five pounds. I don't know, Daddy DK. What's up, dude? Bro, these intros are getting more and more ridiculous. Um, uh, it was true up until the Okinawa part, and then after that, it was just false, just <laughs> lies. What up, everybody? Thanks for uh, subscribing and being part of this exclusive episode. I like the uh, personal banter that we we did last time. So uh, 30 seconds of personal banter. Brayden, what is your favorite food recently? My favorite food recently is uh, whew, Chipotle burritos. Which I, cho- Chipotle burrito? Uh, the chicken burrito. Nice. Yeah. Any any I, any special changes or anything like that? Nope. It's like I'm a pretty picky eater, so it's just standard. I get the chicken, lettuce, beans, and rice, and that's about it. Nice. So, but yeah, I I I was I was never like a big Chipotle fan for most of my life, and then uh, I started going a little bit like towards the end of my wife and I's time in Provo, and then once we got here, it's kind of been like my favorite go to place. So, what's your favorite food recently? Good question. Uh, I've been drinking lots of Gatorade. That's not a food. Not that's so stupid answer. <laughs> I'm getting to that point where like I'm running so much every single day that like I could play basketball or like do anything, and I just do not get fatigued. It's more of a battle of electrolytes. Oh, okay. so like I will literally get like my body just needs potassium or like sugar or carbs right now. Yeah. And so, like, the Gatorade actually has been really helpful. So, uh, that's my thing recently. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you ended that sentence You ended that sentence with Gatorade because the way it sounded like with your inflection, I thought you were like, uh, I don't know, I've been drinking a lot lately. <laughs> <laughs> drinking a lot of, drinking a lot recently. Oh, of the Gatorade, you know. And, uh, <laughs> no, but I was going to say, uh, it went Chipotle for years. I don't know how it started. It, I think it was on accident. For years, my favorite burrito at, at Chipotle was vegetarian. 
Oh, I, interesting. Yeah, and I I wasn't a vegetarian, but like for all of high school, I would just get a vegetarian burrito like every time we went yeah. to Chipotle. And no reason. Huh. No reason. I think like we had to get it once. Maybe they were out of meat one day or like someone bought us a burrito or something. I don't know. But ever since then, I was like, oh my gosh, vegetarian burritos with the bean and rice. Because the yeah. beans and rice is like enough. It feels very rich still without oh, yeah. the meat. Oh, yeah. And like they give you more of everything else when you get order vegetarian. I thought it was delicious. So I'd order that. It wasn't until like literally in almost out of college that I first tried like a chicken or steak burrito or something like that. I'm like, oh gosh, this is different. <laughs> it's a real story. Yeah, well, I have is... no reason. I'm, I, I think I went vegetarian like six months at one point in my life, but I'm, well, that's, we're not going to talk about that. Anyway, let's get into this uh, topic today. That's, that's enough. Right. That was more than two minutes of personal banter. Yeah. Uh, let's, let's get right into this episode. Cool. Well, today we've got a clip from Wavy Wayne. He is a big YouTube star, over 235,000 subscribers, and he's a mix engineer, does mostly hip-hop and trap, if I uh, am correct. And he's kind of a big deal. He was doing stuff at NAMM, uh, interviewing big engineers, doing little workshops, and he makes super great content. So if you're not already subscribed to him on YouTube, definitely go check out Wavy Wayne. Uh, today we're going to hear a clip from him about buying gear that you don't need and this comes from a like a video series he did which is like amateur mixing mistakes and like i said in one episode i love these clickbait titles they always get me so i was like all right let's see what this is about so this comes from amateur mixing mistakes buying gear you don't need wavy wayne roll the tape now this next tip this next mistake to avoid is gonna save y'all some money man and i'm talking about buying gear before you need it Hmm, don't just let that money burn a hole in your pocket, right? <laughs> That's what my mom used to say. You, that money must be burning a hole in your pocket because you, you're looking for stuff to buy, right? Instead of looking for um, problems to solve, right? So what you, what the only reason you should be buying a new plug-in, buying um, a, a new piece of gear or whatever it is, is because you have a problem that you need to solve, not because you're marketed to. Make sure that you have a problem that you need to solve. And will this um, purchase help me to solve my problem? A lot of us just go out and buy stuff. We buying so many plugins, buying these gears and control surfaces, outboard compressors, preamps, all this stuff. And then we don't even know how to work it. Right. Or or it's complicating our workflow and it's taking us longer to get the job done. It's taking a whole convoluted route and it's not even adding any value to the project or to the clients or anything else. Don't feel like you just need to go and buy something because they came out with this new uh, uh, fancy shiny plug-in that you think you need. Don't think you need it. Wait until the music is calling for something and then you go out and search for the tool that can help you achieve what you couldn't achieve with what you already have. Then that's the trigger for you to go buy something new, man. I'm telling you. I like new stuff too. I like, I like, look, I like new stuff too. I like the, the fly stuff. I want to try everything that's out there. But listen, a big amateur mistake is really um, going to be that you're buying too much stuff. You're, you're spending too much money. You're running your business backwards before you're even making money. You're spending the money, okay? And not only that, remember that gear, software, plugins should only serve one purpose. <laughs> but it sometimes can serve two, right? It, it, it can serve one or two purposes. When you get it, it's either going to help to make you more efficient or help to make you less efficient. All righty, DK. So Wayne tells us that 
obviously, like, everyone loves gear. He loves gear. We all like messing with new compressors and plugins and all this stuff. But he says, don't buy the gear that you don't need. He says, too many people look for gear to buy instead of problems to solve. And then he says, like, at the end of the day, the new gear will either help you be more efficient or less efficient. So I'm curious, DK, when you were an amateur mix engineer, is this something you did by, because I know you've had a lot of gear over the years, so did you buy a lot of gear maybe before you needed it, or did you take Wayne's advice and you were buying things for specific purposes? Yeah, so if you listen to the podcast or have been a listener to the podcast, I'm a big fan of two things. One, saving money to spend money on things that are more important. Uh, and two, um, being efficient, neither of which is typically is, is a reason to rationalize buying gear. Um, I've had a lot of gear in the past. I have a lot of gear now. We use a lot of gear. I still use gear to this day, and some gear is absolutely essential. Like I think that you should prioritize spending money on monitors. So if the choice was monitor and a compressor, I would just put more money into the monitors. You know, mm. I think that is an important piece of gear. Um, I think it also depends on the stages. Like, for example, if you are a recording engineer, having an outboard preamp and compressor, at least a single chain, uh, does make mixing easier, does make the recording process easier, and, and potentially allows the um, the the artists to be comfortable when they yell, their headphones don't start blaring because it's compressed. Uh, but the cool thing is that now you can do all of that digitally with very, very little unnoticeable amount of latency on most modern machines. Um, I'm a big fan of what this guy says. And here's the thing. I like gear. I like the idea of gear. I like I like flexing my gear. Um, and if I was uh, an audio enthusiast, home recording enthusiast, I was not trying to go full time. I just loved, I have a studio in my house or I work in studios often and I have a home set up and I just love audio and I don't care about how much money I make from it. Then I would maybe invest in gear. But I think we did an entire episode in like a year ago where we talked about why buying gear if you're trying to do music full time is dumb. And that's because there's so many other better uses. And, and I love that he brought in plugins. That's something that we usually don't talk about. Because um, with analog equipment, they're prone to fail. You have to calibrate them. They're actually, it's like, it's like having a car. You have to take care of it. You know, replace tubes if you have tubes gear. So you're literally sinking more money into something just to make it work, hopefully work the same as it did when you first bought it. Um, and... Uh, but as far as like, I think plugins is another good way to get into it. You do not need 50,000 versions of an 1176. I'm going to tell you right now, I know all of us that are listening to the show, that are speaking on the show, Braden, you included, who is a mastering engineer, who probably would not never use 1176, has at least three versions of an 1176. Yeah. Uh, way unnecessary. I mean, <laughs> three, I think, is like an okay number. But I mean, <laughs> I like the point. Like, And it's a great thought process to have. Does this solve an issue? Not. A yes or no. For example, if you do not have Antares Auto-Tune, you should probably save the money to buy Antares Auto-Tune, not another Neve 1073 clone. EQ, you know, or another 1073 or another 1176. Um, if you do not have Melodyne, you should probably buy and prioritize buying Melodyne over another imager. I don't know. 
um, or another limiter. Uh, if you do not have uh, RX, because uh, for all of their creative uses for uh, noise reduction in audio, then maybe these tools that solve different problems is a better way to look at things and prioritize that. Or maybe, just maybe, whether you are single or you have a family, and especially if you have a family, wife and kids even, maybe you take your kids out to ice cream instead of buying a plug-in. I don't know. I think there's better <laughs> ROI on that, uh, spending time yeah. with them. Um, but that being said, uh, that is important. Many of these tools are used to solve a problem. Um, in mixing and even debatably in mastering now, analog equipment is inferior and does not solve problems. It, he used At the very end, he says it makes everything less efficient. Like he talked a lot about efficiency, which to a professional, not to an amateur, to a professional, efficiency is everything. It changes how much money you're making per hour. Um, and if you get analog equipment, you're dropping money to lose money. That's what it is. And it's, it's, it's really, you, there's more headroom when you stay in the digital domain, which is why a lot of mastering engineers are moving to digital. We were talking about Ian uh, Shepard from The Mastering Show, who is incredible, very smart dude, who explains why digital is way more superior to analog equipment in multiple, for multiple reasons, um, from a technical standpoint. Uh, and uh, I, I know there's a lot of, uh, audio nerds that really think that it's important. I think it's good. I think that um, analog equipment has a, an awesome tone that is difficult to replicate. Um, and I think that if you if you changed and like there's a reason why remakes, remixes or remastered albums just don't perform or get as many streams is because each song and tone is nostalgic and many of the tones that were made were due to the inflexibility of the analog pieces that were available in that time. <laughs> like that's the only tone that they could get so that's what you're getting with and and that tone became nostalgia which sells the piece now um i do so i think that there's a lot to be said here i'm pretty passionate about the topic uh but i'm also a little bit of a hypocrite because i do own and use a lot of gear um but again mostly for the recording phase um and uh yeah that's that's my thoughts that's i think that's it i think i have a few more but that's all i have at the top of my head all right, well, now that you've stepped down from your soapbox, I'll step up on mine. Oh, no. Gear. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <clears throat> I mean, it can all be summed up in two words from Leslie Brathwaite. Analog sucks. Uh, <laughs> no. Hold on, no, how, many, just, how many Grammys is the, does the guy have? He uh, has like over 14, 12. 16, yeah. something like that. Serban <laughs> yeah. as well says the same. Serban is all in the box. Uh, yeah. Manny and Jason are partially out of the box, but when they start doing for V1, but then when they do revisions, they're back in the box completely. So yeah. like they, they print them and then any revisions or any changes, they all the rest of the prints are in the box. Yeah, well, and it's like, like you said, more and more people are moving to all digital because... Yeah, maybe, maybe, not to my ear anyway, but maybe analog has a different sound, a different flavor uh, compared to plugins. You know, there's there's a, a podcast I listen to called The Attack and Release Show. It's two mastering engineers, and they all the time, they're like, oh, the Manly Varimu plugin just sucks. Like, it doesn't sound anything like a real Manly Varimu. Like, they're like, some of the hey, plugins that, have Hey, that kind up. of like elitist mentality really makes me want to hire them. <laughs> That was me being yeah. fucking sarcastic. 
<laughs> if you couldn't tell. <laughs> but, yeah. But like they, they, they're like some of the plugins are nailing it. They sound just like the analog piece of gear and others are so far off that we won't give up our analog gear yet. And like it drives me crazy, man. Like actually that show is very, very good and I really like those guys. Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to talk I also shit. like and that show. And, and, and that's their opinion and they obviously do fantastic work. It's their full-time job. It's I do think there's games. a difference when you like have a digital plugin that's trying to emulate and you advertise it as sounding the exact same as the... Mm as the gear where yeah. whereas like it sounds different but it doesn't necessarily sound better you know nothing yeah. sounds better better is so subject is, is so subjective there's no objective better tones uh, unless yeah. you're counting just straight up distortion um yeah. which again would be digital uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh <laughs> well, but for real yeah. though for real um that's the thing too it's like yes this plugin doesn't emulate a manly very the way that it advertises is one thing but this sounds better or worse than in than a manly very is just such a stupid argument a very low iq argument to have yeah and and I, and here's the thing too is that far too many of us in the industry and this is and this is a big point that i've made many times over we we are meant to be producers right not consumers we produce we produce music that other people consume yet so many of us too many of us act like fucking consumers where we are so swayed by marketing teams more (laughs) than what sounds good and we are so incapable of the confidence in ourselves to believe what we think sounds better that we have to believe what other people say. And I think that is the biggest bullshit. And that you, as a listener right now, as a mixer and a mastering engineer, you need to have the confidence for yourself to determine what sounds good and what doesn't. And even if everybody will hate you for it, if what you think is that this 1176 digital plugin sounds better than the analog version that I have, you're, you, you can confidently think that. It doesn't matter whether or not you're right, because you're not right or wrong. It's super subjective, right? Yeah. But the point is you have the confidence to to have preference, okay? Uh, and you do not, you cannot be sheep consumer. Oh, dude, it's so <laughs> silly. And, and the reason why I bring this up is because it literally, there's no positive benefit to this at all. I mean, there's a reason. We had a long conversation with Tizio, Chris Brown's engineer, and now he, he mixes for, um, he mixed for Jack Harlow and all of Lil Nas X's stuff, and he's mixing now for a bunch of other things that we won't get into, but... The dude is, is killing it right now. And there's a reason why Tizio, we asked him to do a mixing seminar and he genuinely said to us, I, feel, I don't feel like I'm good enough at mixing to give like a mixing seminar. And I guarantee that doesn't come from a, like that has like all of the marketing that we've had that says analog gear is better. More importantly, like you need to work at commercial studios and, and, and work with big artists and mixing is such a big fucking deal. It's all of that marketing that, that, that comes from a place of elitism that makes even people like Tizio feel bad about themselves. Like, it makes no sense to me why Tizio said, I'm not confident enough to teach a master class about mixing. That's so yeah. fucked up. And I, and I, and I, and I have, the, on, the only logical conclusion is from this uh, marketing and elitist mentality. I mean, you probably heard me rant about this on um, the quit, quit, measuring dicks like that was there we did an (laughs) entire episode about how the music industry is just a big dick measuring competition and it just needs to stop (laughs) 
Um, And analog gear is one major form and route of people doing that. That being said, there are many people that own, have, share, use gear that are not competing in that mentality, and that is super great. Um, It's just different. Well, that's... One thing I was going to say is like, again, it goes back to being more or less efficient. And if you have like just racks and racks of analog gear and it makes you more efficient and it gives you a better end product that you're happy with, then use it. Like, Hold on, hold on. If you do that, then I would love to interview you on the podcast and know your systems. (laughs) Yes, there you go. (laughs) But like... uh, that Sorry, was not I sarcastic. Guess, that was not sarcastic. I'm being dead serious. If yeah. if mixing out of the box is is genuinely faster for you, I want to know why and how, what you've done. Because I've heard of a lot of people. Yeah. One of the things that I've heard is people that leave all of their boxes at the same setting. So then all they do is change the clip gain for like compressors, mm-hmm. right? So you change yeah. the clip gain. So how much you feed the the. So anytime they recall their session, it's just they feed into it they change the clip gain into the compressor rather than changing the input-output of the compressor, the threshold? Yeah. When I've heard I, that. In my case, I'm not a fan of analog gear because I think that it's like, like DK said, I think it's over-marketed. I think it's over-hyped because, you know, at the end of the day, these people have to sell stuff. Like, they've got shareholders and they have to meet a bottom line and all this stuff. So, like, of course, they're going to market it to you that it's the way to make your music sound the best. And maybe it is for you or whoever uses it. For me personally, it was not. Uh, When I first got into mastering, I was like, oh, I need an analog piece of gear, but I don't have... So, like, let's talk about this. I think this is a good experience that you brought up. Like, the SSL Fusion that you had, and did you sell it? Yeah, I sold it, yeah. Good, yeah, good, yeah. Um, The SSL Fusion, for example, great piece of kit. It sounds really cool. Um, I honestly think it made your master sound worse, and obviously you agreed too. Yeah, I didn't uh, like it. I, yeah, I didn't. I didn't like it at all and it, either. And I, I don't. I don't think. And but then again, there's Jeff Jackson, who is someone that we interviewed on the show, who swears by it. But he only uses the stereo imager part of it. He doesn't use it for the distortion, the high frequency compression, or the EQs. He only yeah. uses it, or the transformers. He only uses it for the imager part of it. Um, and so it comes down to. Let's say it's a $2,000 box or a $1,000 box and you're just mixing, right? No mix, no recording. If you're just mixing, you're not like, does it make, does it make your mix sound that much better? Like $2,000 better? Or does it make your mix worth slowing down the process and efficiency? And most of the time, the answer is absolutely no. But then there's going to be times, especially at higher levels, extreme high levels, that 0.00001% of a difference that the analog gear makes can be worth that money because the mix that they're getting paid for is four grand. So spending two grand, (laughs) spending, buying an API 2500 for that is only half the budget of a single song that you're mixing that you've already got in the bag that's being paid for is a good, potentially a good choice to have. Like there's a big Instagram channel. I'm sorry, I'm ranting now, but there's like an Instagram channel that I saw every once in a while or like a TikToker where she's like, Kim Kardashian spent $4 million on a bracelet this last weekend uh, compared to my income. And she's like compared to her net worth and versus my net worth, that $4 million compared to her net worth, which is a billion dollars is only... Uh, whatever, less than 1% of her net worth, which to me, for my livable wages, is $50. So like $4 million <laughs> for her is $50 to me. And so yeah. what we see is these big people that are buying this gear, and you don't realize that like when it comes to net worth and how much they're making from music, 
it's it's worth it. It's for us buying a $30 yeah. plug-in on Waves, but they're spending yeah. 2500 And that's when I think it's appropriate to buy gear. Yeah. I, I also... I just, yeah. Like I, like I... Like I said, like I sold my SSL Fusion because it was the same thing for me. I was only using like the vintage drive and the stereo imager, and it just didn't feel like those two features were worth $2,500, especially. And I even got a discount because I bought it when I was working at Guitar Center. So, like, it was even cheaper for me. And it, it still didn't even feel worth it to me. And, like, I, um, you know, especially when like a couple months later, SSL came out with their own plugins that do the same thing that that box does, and you can just buy one part of it, so you don't have to buy the whole thing. Or they advertise that it does the same thing. Yeah, well, apparently there's a lot of comparison videos, and they sound almost the same, which like you know would have been good enough for me. But like, I just uh, yeah, I, I I just don't like when the whole like emphasis around mastering is like well what gear do you have or like like there's mastering engineers that like they never post any content they never share what they're working on they don't like give mastering tips they don't try to help people or provide value they just take pictures of the fancy gear in their studio and that for some reason works people go to them no they, it doesn't like, it doesn't that's why well, they, like, that's why they're shutting down Oh, well, <laughs> most of these businesses are shutting down. They're very few and far between that are. Um, and that's why there's always really, really cheap, nice gear on reverb. It's because these these businesses are st- shutting down. Um, and and this I want to end the episode like this. If you are a current owner of vintage of of gear in general, um, you don't necessarily have to sell it. Uh, maybe you no. really like the sound of it. And and that's the yeah. point is like if you have the confidence to know that this really changes your tone, then that's exactly goes in line with it. What I'm not saying, what I'm not trying to do is shame people for having or wanting to or buying gear. What Absolutely. I am saying is that if you're buying gear rationalizing that it's going to make your money, then you're stupid. <laughs> I straight up. Uh it's not one of those buy it and they will come things. It's definitely not. Um, so just be aware, but that being said, again, if you're not a professional and you're not worried about how much money you make per hour, um, and maximizing efficiency, uh, and if you really are like an amateur, like go fucking go for it, go for it. I highly recommend it. They're way fun to play with. And like the tactility of it is like genuinely a lot of fun and they (laughs) look cool. I genuinely think they look cool. Um, yeah. And if I had a million dollars and my net worth uh, to buy an API 2500 and a Manly Veramu was only 0.005% <laughs> of my net worth, I would buy those today, you know? Uh, <laughs> but yeah. is that is not owning those things the reason why I can't make a hit song? Absolutely not. Absolutely yeah. not. It's DK not has that. a whole career. <laughs> it's not that. I've literally built most of my career staying in the box, and and I know many people, many other people doing the same thing. Um, and it's crazy. The number one mixer in the world, Serban Ganea, and the reason why I say number one subjectively because he has the most top 40s, most Grammys, most plaques, uh, completely in the box. And there are a bunch of engineers out there that's saying he's lying, he has a secret, he has some sort of converter <laughs> thing. Um, no, no, he's really in the box. He's really in the box. It's it's actually incredible. And it's so unbelievable. And the marketing has worked so well for so many people that there are so many people out there that genuinely don't believe that he's in the box. Like, it's just unfathomable that the number one mixer in the world doesn't use any analog equipment, not even for his monitoring. 
it's it's unfathomable, yeah. right? And and that's how crazy and bad marketing is. <laughs> they can't even believe when it. I think I think too it probably comes from, you know, a lot of people that will do YouTube videos or tutorials like someone who is <clears throat> like always talking about their mixing process is Chris Lord Algae. Like his videos are all over the place and every time you see a video of his, he's just in a room full of gear with his console. Let's not so bring I him think, up. Let's not bring him up. Uh, he's I, he's he's more of the butt end of jokes <laughs> recently. We won't we won't bring him up. I, well, the, the he point has, is he has good say, mixes. I, think, I really actually like his mixes, but I he's, think he's that an everybody anomalous. assumes that that all top mix engineers mix in a room like he does. Yeah, and I think that yeah, I think that's kind of where that comes from. Anyway, so yeah, we'll go ahead and wrap up there. The point of this is, don't just look for gear to buy. Look for a problem to solve, and if the gear serves the purpose that you are looking for, and you have the money, and it's not going to put you in a bind, go ahead and get it. If it's going to make you more efficient, it's going to solve your problem, go right ahead. There's nothing wrong with that. And it doesn't have to be analog gear either. It can be plugins, like DK said. You know, it just do what is going to help you be more efficient because then you make more money per hour, which helps you do more of what you love and helps you solve the problems that you're running into. Off the top of my head, I think I have at least six or seven 1176 plugins. <laughs> well, th- there you go. and here's the thing i do have a favorite too like i have like the two that i use for different instances like each one sounds a little bit different dude the the way that you came in right there and said that that just to me felt like (laughs) like a scene in a movie where it's like a circle like let's say it's like a circle of friends like talking about audio engineering and then there's just one dude that they don't really know very well and he just walks up and everyone's like hey what's up gerald how's it going man and he just goes off the top of my head, I think I have six or seven 1176 compressors. <laughs> and everyone's just like, what? And then he just walks away. Like, that was the total vibe I got from that. That was, yeah, that was funny. Anyway. Just out of nowhere. Anyway, uh, thank you so much for listening. I'm, I'll do the yep. ending this time. Thank you so much cool. for listening. Sorry for a long rant. I apologize if I pissed you off. Good. Um, you know, that's that's great. Challenging your mental and, and opening different directions for neural pathways, different ways of thinking. And, and uh, my opinion is always correct. And you should believe me 100% of the time. I only spit facts. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and you should never take my words with a grain of salt. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, but thank you so much for subscribing. Honestly, I love you guys to death. Um, the reason why I bring this stuff up and the, and the topic, this, these types of topics I'm so passionate about is because, quite frankly, and I don't mean to get deep here and emotional here, I have way too many friends that are way too, and I, I swear when I get passionate, way too fucking talented, right? Way too talented that get insecure and are unable to continue making music because of small things like this. They're, they're, inability to believe in themselves comes from an unhealthy and and we hate to admit it most of us have this comes from an unhealthy place that is heavily directed by marketing and consumerism um that's reason that's the reason why i don't actually believe analog gear sounds worse really and if if it was all affordable and costed us nothing i may be i may be outspoken about it and and promote it more but i've lost way too many friends to small things like that and it's only one thing that's analog equipment is only one barrier but there's it's an unnecessary barrier that's um getting people to quit not release music feeling insecure and it's just absolutely unnecessary i want every listener right now i want you to win 
And I want you to get better. And I want you to be a better mixer, better producer, better stronger. I want you to win gold plaques. I want to mix the songs when you do go platinum so I can go platinum too. And, <laughs> and, and I want to mix your song so when you win a Grammy, I'm getting a Grammy as well. And, and, and for real though, like I'm serious. And <laughs> well, I'm serious about like wanting y'all to win. Um, I, I do feel, I, I, I probably care a little bit too much about you listening. I don't know who you are personally, Joe. Um, <laughs> if there's a Joe listening right now, uh, I don't know who you are personally, but, um, from one musician to another, from one struggling musician to another, I genuinely want you to succeed. And I'm tired of people thinking they can't because they don't have the budgets for analog equipment. And that's how I want to end the episode today. Um, and again, if you want to subscribe to me on YouTube, youtube.com forward slash DK Mixes. I got a lot of other free content outside of the podcast as well and tutorials, um, including a how to mix really fast in Pro Tools, how to mix vo- or re- record vocals really fast on Pro Tools, things like that. Um, thank you so much for subscribing and being on the Discord server. If you'd like to work with me or Brayden at a discounted rate, just mention that you're a subscriber on the podcast. Um, and... Uh, DM Flint Braden at Flint Mastering or me at DK Mixes and, and we'll work something out for you. Thank you so much for listening. Truly, you guys mean a lot to me. And I'm, I'm really glad all the DMs that I get about uh, us helping people in one way or another is, is really heartwarming. That's exactly why we do this. So on that note, thank you, Braden. Any other final thoughts? No. Cool. Happy <laughs> mixing, my friends, and stay saucy. Stay saucy.